Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. Bridget Legault leads the Rainforest Alberta movement in Calgary as the community manager and also serves the startup community through strategy and growth consulting services. She is passionate about growing the tech sector upon a culture of trust, diversity and collaboration and activates this work through strategic ecosystem initiatives, learning experiences, storytelling and community engagement. Let's join Bridget for another episode in her series of Women in Alberta Tech with her guests, Elle Aiden and Fiona Simpson. Take it away, Bridget. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Leaders, Innovators and Big Ideas podcast supported by Rainforest Alberta. My name is Bridget Legault, and I'm the community manager down in Calgary with Rainforest Alberta. And today is I think a fourth part in our series on women in technology in the Alberta tech ecosystem. We have been having wonderful conversations celebrating women founders throughout this series and hearing really honest and transparent experiences from those women. So today I'm thrilled to be welcoming Elle and Fiona from Bio Mimir. <laughs> and we're going to be chatting a bit about their history, about building their company and uh, what it's been like. So welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for being here. Um, Let's just start right into it. We want to hear a bit more about your history and what brought you to this point today. So maybe we'll start with Elle. Do you want to tell us a bit about your background and maybe even like where you grew up? What was family like life like for you as a young child and all the way to what brought you into your profession today? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I grew up in a in a small town out in nowhere in Sweden, northern Sweden. And well, honestly, like a lot of freedom growing up, but it, it was um, a strange place for someone who very much likes looking for um, knowledge. Yes, you enjoy science and all of this. The town doesn't have a university. Honestly, like the whole region only has two universities. Uh, so as soon as I was of legal age and, and, and could live on my own, I, I did. I moved south to Linköping and spent a lot of time there doing chemistry and biology and eventually got myself a master's in biology. And yeah, I, I actually started working in genetics uh, in yeah, 2012. And I work like I was a working researcher in genetics at the university for a while. Uh, regenerative medicine had always been the thing I wanted to do, so I got introduced to Professor Meg Griffith, um, who had been at Harvard at the same time as my then PI. And yeah, I knocked at uh, on her door and and asked her if she had a position for me, and and I got told that we don't have the budget right now. And I told her, you pay me whatever you can pay me. I'll start on Monday. So that's how I, that's how I got into that part of science. Yeah. <laughs> that's a great way to get a job. <laughs> I'll see you on Monday. <laughs> yeah. 
Fantastic. Fiona, what about yourself? Uh, so I'm not, not from an, nearly somewhere as exciting. I grew up in Oakville, <laughs> Ontario. So you know, one, of the, one of the suburbs of Toronto. And I was, I will actually, I think we both were. I was one of those precocious kids who had a lot of obsessions. Uh, I was, I had a, a phase when I was 10 and I was super obsessed with birds of prey because my class got, had a, a falconer in and I got to pet a fe- peregrine falcon. And I don't think I shut up about it for like six months to a year. <laughs> um, and so I've, I've always been a person to like base knowledge about things. Um, and I think it was pretty clear all along that I was going to do something in science, even though I didn't know what that was. And when I was in grade 12, I read a profile of Dr. Flossie Wongstall, uh, and she's one of the virologists who helped to identify HIV as the virus that caused AIDS. And she was a molecular biologist. Um, so I thought to myself, okay, well then I'll be a molecular biologist. That's what I want to do. Um, and maybe I'll be an MD or whatever after that, but that's what I'm going to go to university for. Um, I had also considered engineering, but I got a lot of really unsatisfactory answers about what engineers did and was like, well, (laughs) this person I think who did amazing things did this. So I'm going to go do this. Uh, and I, I went to McMaster in Hamilton and I got my undergrad degree in molecular biology. Um, and then I went off to grad school thinking that was my next step. Um, and that was not a great decision because I went to grad school because I, I thought I needed to, not because I had a particular passion for the thing that I was doing. And so despite four years in graduate school, I didn't get that degree. I, I wound up walking away, um, hat in hands without a degree and went to go work for a dermatology consulting and medical writing firm for a couple of years. Ooh. And I had done that and it was, it was fine but it was a job. Um, and May Griffith, who May mentioned, offered me a job moving to Sweden. She was like, I need someone who is detail-oriented, who will do paperwork, who has experience doing you know, lab work and you know, hardcore regulatory paperwork uh, to come to Sweden and to ma- manage this manufacturing project in a clean room. Um, and I had never done anything like that before, but I was like, well, I'm sick of living in London, Ontario. Let's go. So I moved to Sweden and I was there for a year and a half. And that was sort of my first exposure to like regenerative medicine or biomaterials, which is what our company does. Uh, And I thought this is, this is so fantastic because I'd always done research. I did research as an undergrad. I did grad school, but all of that research was research to know things, not research to make things. Hmm. Uh, And I find I'm, it just doesn't keep me going, research to know things. But biomaterials are amazing because they're there to make things that are genuinely intended to help people in the real world. And so that's, that's how I wound up here. And so the research group moved back from Sweden to Montreal, and I came with, and I went back to school at 30 to get my PhD in biomedical engineering. Uh, so that was sort of my second, my second pass at grad school, which was much more successful than the first. Very successful, I would say. Lots of prices, lots of stipends. Yeah, and that was sort of the foundation for like having a startup in that space. So did the two of you meet in Sweden then? Yes, Elle's my my, uh, memento. I brought her home from Sweden (laughs) to Canada because I I couldn't leave her behind. Yeah, that's basically it. Uh, For a while there, 
I was in grad school when Fiona moved back, when the group moved back. And I was shot with another group and I actually ended up uh, commuting between Montreal and Uppsala in Sweden. <laughs> so I was going back and forth about four times a year oh, and wow. spending stints of like two to three months in either place. So that, that was an interesting two years of doing that, like basically wow. living half time in Canada and half time in Sweden. Yeah, that's a lot of travel, a lot of travel. Um, okay, well, lots of things to unpack there. I mean, I love, Fiona, how you, uh, you, you kind of chose a path based on someone you admired for what they had, how they had impacted the world. I've been talking to my 11-year-old daughter. I don't know why, but she's obsessed right now with what she'll do when she grows up. And this is a great way to look at it and a great way to explore careers by someone whose impact you appreciate. So that's fantastic. So let's dig a little deeper into the story then. So, and maybe we'll touch a bit more right away just to give the audience more context around regenerative medicine. What is it? And what does Biomimir do? What problem does it solve? Who wants to take it? <laughs> so I'll start with what regenerative medicine is because it's yeah. good context for what we do as a company. So regenerative medicine is a discipline of medicine where we look at helping the body to heal itself. Um, and you can do this with a couple of different strategies. So you can use cell-based therapies, and that's a really popular and high-profile form of regenerative medicine. So either the kind of cell therapies where they take a biopsy from you, they grow it up to have more cells, think like skin grafting, they put it back into you. And then there's also strains where they look at like, what they call allogeneic donors or universal donors. So cells that a, a company can manufacture in bulk and give to anybody. Or one of the other parts of regenerative medicine is what we do is biomaterials. So biomaterials are usually things made of like collagen or cellulose or hyaluronic acid. It's honestly any, any naturally derived product, like any, any material we derive from an alive thing that we then repurpose to do something in the body. And we, we use things from, from trees and things from people in some cases and often animal products. We're also getting into, like, as a field, getting into transgenically produced, or like, so in biological systems produced, so fermenta I think fermentation and these mm -hmm. processes, we put in a gene to produce a material, and then we can make that in bulk in a, in a piece of yeast. Yeah. So we, we basically make these materials and we put them in the body as implants to tell your body to regrow its own cells. Cool. And so what are the use cases? So there are, there are about as many use cases as there are different specific biomaterials. So uh, anything from using things like hydroxyapatite to restore bone or to restore dental enamel. Uh, th so those would be like hard biomaterials. We make soft biomaterials, uh, so we're primarily interested in collagen and polymer-based materials that are sort of, you know, around the consistency of, say, jello. Uh, and these materials are used for soft tissue injuries. So in our specific case, we look at complex wounds. So a complex wound is anything that is hard to heal, so it takes more than three months to heal, is probably caused by an underlying condition. So uh, pressure injuries, diabetic ulcers. Uh, certain types of abscesses or fistulas. So that's 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 where our as a company that's where our area of focus. We, is. We, we've seen we've seen some in all kinds of places. Like I mean, 
Spiderworth, which is an Ontario-based company run by Andrew Pelling. They do more things in spinal column uh, and nerve regeneration. Interesting. Very, very interesting. And so where's the company at today? Like, are you in market? Who are your customers? What does the, what does the, is there a business model right now? Or is it mainly research? So we're a pretty early stage startup. We just closed our pre-seed round of funding. So we're about a year and a half away from having a product in market because you need a regulatory approval to sell a medical device. And that's what our product is. Okay. Uh, so we're currently primarily doing preclinical research. So we're doing, you know, right. toxicology studies and safety and efficacy studies to prove that our product does what we say it does and that it's safe for, for people to use. This isn't so much research that's to figure out what our product is. We, we have a, a very good working prototype, but you need to build the uh, body of evidence to be able to go to Health Canada and the FDA to get those approvals. So like we're, we're generating data more than doing research, I would say. Right, right. Fair enough. Is this your only, uh, your only kind of startup or idea or have either of you kind of played in the entrepreneurship world before? It's the, Bimamir was the first one, but we also have a, an AI enabled art platform that we're working on to some degree. We're mainly, we're mainly supplying some of the experience we've gotten through BMME. We have a, a team of Americans who are running that for us and developing that for us. Uh, but yeah, we're trying to, we're trying to use our, the skills we're gaining here in, in other ways as well. And maybe, maybe help other people to become entrepreneurs. Yeah. Good for you. Good for you. That's, that's incredible. Uh, so you recently here in Calgary, won. um, uh, the Life Sciences Summit with Startup TNT, correct? Yeah, big, we did. Big, big congrats to you. So um, let's talk a bit more uh, about um, some of the resources maybe that you've taken advantage of or, or should, should I say, you know, utilized um, in the Calgary ecosystem and maybe have you, um, you kind of worked in other ecosystems as well throughout Canada or globally? So when we founded Biomamir, we lived in Montreal uh, because I did my PhD at University de Montréal, and so we're, we were we were living on the island of Montreal, and there was not a lab space to be found in Montreal post COVID. Not a corner of a bench anywhere on the island of Montreal or the island of Laval. And trust me, we look. So we actually wound up uh, moving to Sherbrooke in Quebec to get lab space. Uh, and Sherbrooke in a poll, who runs our lab space, was our first major venture capital investor. Okay. Uh, so they came in as angels when we were. Uh, mostly, mostly two people, three people, because we have another co-founder, Ben, uh, who isn't with us today. Okay. Uh, with a with a big idea, and I will promise you, very little else. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> and we actually wound up in Calgary because we were looking for non-dilutive funding for our company, and Elle found this fellowship online for from Innovate Calgary, and. Like many programs, it has a lot of very specific requirements, right? So you have to have a startup. You have to be the majority stakeholder in your startup. You have to be within two years of graduating from your doctorate. And I went, well, you fit all of those criteria. And we thought, that's in Calgary. We haven't got a hope in hell of getting that fellowship. But we'll apply anyway and just see what happens. 
Uh, and so that program is called the Life Science Innovation Fellowship at Innovate Calgary. And I was successful. I, you know, you weren't, I wasn't expecting much when I, when I applied for the program, but I was successful. Um, and that program is a non-dilutive investment uh, in Biomimir. So it pays my salary. It gives us money to do research. It gives us access to the Life Science Innovation Hub uh, up at the university. And so Innovate Calgary was actually the second major organization who really had faith in our vision uh, and, you know, believed that we could actually turn our, our crazy idea into a viable business. So we were, we were, we, this is how we were recruited to Calgary. I'd never even been to Calgary before I accepted the, the fellowship. Elle certainly had never been to Calgary either because she's Swedish. Really? So that was, that was how we wound up uh, in Calgary um, and, and having, you know, resources in the area. Uh, and from there, then on, one of the benefits to working so closely with Innovate Calgary is they're super plugged into the innovation ecosystem with Alberta Innovates. Uh, so shortly thereafter, you know, we pitched uh, Startup TNT Summit 5. We then also pitched Her Story uh, for the 51, uh, which got us some of our initial exposure. Mm, yeah. And then... We weren't successful with, with Summit 5, which is like Startup TNT's open summit, but we, we, we looped around because we knew they had a life science specific summit. So, uh, you know, I guess six months later, we came back and we're like, well, we're going to give the life science summit a shot where, you know, we're a little bit more specific about the type of investment. Uh, so that's, that's a little bit about our story in Calgary. And I mean, I will say this, the, the Calgary community has been really wonderful and super welcoming. Everybody wants to introduce you to people. Oh, I, I have a friend who does this. Oh, have you heard about Biohub X? Oh, have you talked to the people down at Platform? <laughs> uh, it's, it's been a really great innovation ecosystem in terms of having lots of connectedness. within. There, the there's something in the culture there that, that makes it real. Like I, 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 I do think, honestly, I might recognize some of this from, from back home, from Bolan, where I grew up, which is like at a, I know Calgary is a lot larger place, but it's still a little bit of the out in nowhere vibes in spite of the size of the city. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and I, well, I think people like sort of pride themselves of that mentality. And that's a very neighborly, neighborly vibe. Everyone like, you're here, so we're going to help you out. Yeah, 100%. I think that's very much the Calgarian way. We're also a very kind of, you know, early ecosystem. And, and because of that, also fairly small in comparison to other tech ecosystems. And it's a pretty tight knit community, we always tell folks who are new to the ecosystem, you know, just go out and get to know people through the plethora of events that we now have being offered on a weekly basis. And in no time at all, you'll, you'll feel like, you know, you, you're at home and you know a lot of folks. So it's great to hear and great to hear that the UFC and Innovate brought you here. I'm sure there are other stories like this that we'd love to uncover because we just love hearing about companies setting up shop in Calgary. So, so are you are you solely in Calgary, or you're also still working out of Quebec? Maybe can we can we share that? We're still them? working out of Quebec as well, and we're actually we're we're intending to expand our presence in both places because we have yeah. there, there's some benefits to each of the places. Uh, we have some collaborations that we're getting up with the university in Sherbrooke, and at the same time we have good access to the University of Calgary's resources to um, the Life Science Fellowship. I will say that the impacts team at Innovate Calgary, who 
does quality management systems and helps people to facilitate clinical trials is a big draw for us in Calgary because they make achieving goals that might otherwise cost us millions of dollars in consulting and in fees cost like a fraction of that cost. Right. Uh, You know, because one of the hardest, one of the most expensive things a company like us, ours will do is run clinical trials. Right. They can be prohibitively expensive, you know. Yeah. Even a even a very small trial in some markets can cost you several million dollars. Right. Uh, and impact really makes it accessible to talk about how to plan that if you've never planned that before, or to find, you know, investigators who will help you initiate studies and they give you all of the resources that you need to like manage and plan a trial. So that's super important to us in Calgary. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, we we're hiring people for both sides. And we're sort of trying to figure out the, the best way of, of streamlining production and testing and all of these things. It also helps. I mean, Canada is a bilingual country and it does help to have a, a decent footprint in, in Francophone Canada for once we hit market here. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, great. Okay. Fantastic. Well, super happy to hear that. Um, You'll be in both places and that you're looking across across the country. Uh, I'd like to go back uh, to the Startup TNT conversation and only because I think I had mentioned to you just before we got on the recording here that the reason I ran into both of your profiles was because of a post that uh, I believe Fiona had made around a comment that was directed at her during a startup t- during the Startup TNT Summit. Um, I've personally experienced um, some interesting situations at a women as a woman within events within the innovation sector. And this is all why we've started this series around women and their experiences in the tech ecosystem to ensure that um, people are aware because it all starts with awareness as far as where we can go um, from there around allyship for, you know, various uh, demographics in the ecosystem. And so, you know, I mean, I don't want to dread on that too much because I think it's kind of a like, you know, it's, it's, let's just move along sort of situation. And, uh, but maybe we can just briefly touch on what was your experience and then maybe just a bigger conversation around what has your experience been like as, um, women founders? So the specific story is it was the top five pitch night. We were at Platform Calgary and Platform Calgary was absolutely packed to the rafters. You know, there's 300 people on the KPMG pitch stage there. It's it's quite an atmosphere. And at Startup TNT, you give a four minute, which is a hell of a thing to do live on time <clears throat> with no timer. You don't get a timer. You just have to hope you hate your time. So you have to practice a lot. And, you know, <laughs> I had gone up. I had decided to be super genuine, super direct with the crowd and just be like, look, I turned my whole life into this goal. This is the thing I believe in the most in the world, something that I think has a profound ability to make an impact, uh, not just here in, in Calgary or here in Canada, uh, but globally. Uh, and I was, I was super proud of myself. I think I killed it. Al thinks I killed it. You know, the audience seemed to think so too. And the way that the, the summit works is on top five pitch night, the investors go into a room and then they decide who won. So we don't know who won going in during that time period where you wait to find out who won the summit. You know, 
every young woman in that crowd came up to me and told me how fantastic it was and how amazed they were to see a female founder pitch. I was the only woman pitching that night, although I'm not the only female founder or executive of the companies that were pitching. Yeah. Uh, and so it was a great vibe. And then a fellow came up to me and he told me that he thought I did, you know, a pretty good job, but my voice was kind of too high pitched. And I looked at my slides maybe a little bit too much towards the end. And then I should really work on speaking from my diaphragm. And I, I have, I have been a competitive debater <laughs> since I was in high school. So two world university debate championships. Uh, you know, I, I teach, I have up until very recently taught speech and debate to like 12 and 13 year olds and, and high school kids. It's not that I've never heard these things, but what a gut punch for someone when you are having the night of your life to come up and say like, oh, I mean, I guess that that was okay. But basically I think women's voices are pitching is sort of the undertone of that, right? Uh, and you looked a little bit nervous. Yeah. Of course, there were 300 people in the room. 100%. And I mean, the take home for me here is like, I laugh about this. And by the way, I went on to win that night. So this is not a sad story. Uh, because we won the summit. But if someone had said that to Elle, she would never have pitched yes. again. I mean, I, I hate public <laughs> speaking. Like, it's, it's awful. And I have to do it sometimes. And I have done, like, scientific conferences and these things. Um, but I mean... I'm very self-conscious about my voice and how I am in a, in a public setting. And I don't have the experience Fiona has with competitive debating or anything. Mm -hmm. No, like I would have, I would have been destroyed by a thing like that. I, I would also have been like, well, and, and like someone else gets to do this forever now. And I, I don't think I'm alone in that. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think a lot of people are, and not, I don't think that that's a woman specific thing either. I think a lot of people, for a lot of people, public speaking is like, one of the hardest things that we do no. as, as founders or in, in like this ecosystem. Uh, yeah. I mean, I made the post on LinkedIn because the, the message I wanted coming out of that is if you see someone absolutely hyped on adrenaline, having just come off the pitch stage, the only thing to say to them is great job. You killed it out there. Or you seemed a little nervous, but you did a great job with your message. Yeah. There is no negative feedback in that scenario. Hold your tongue. Don't give people public speaking feedback they didn't ask you for. Full stop. Like, full stop. I'm, I've been debating for a long time. I have all sorts of feelings. I'm, I don't offer them. Yeah, exactly. You know, I don't, I don't tell people what I thought unless they specifically come up to me and say, hey, Fiona, <laughs> I would like your feedback on this. And I certainly don't do that when they're riding the adrenaline high of having just talked to 300 people. And so. when this, also, like, it's even worse when the stakes are that high because this wasn't just about... Mm -hmm. This wasn't just about going up and looking good on stage, right? Like there was a lot of money uh, at stake. And, and for us, we weren't in a bad situation. We didn't need that money. But that's the other thing. Like some of the, some companies in a situation like that, yeah. like they're there for, the, for, for keeping their company afloat, for keeping, staying alive as, a, as an entity. And you don't, you don't want any sort of negativity until like that, that, Put comes down. Totally. Like this is this is protected time <laughs> between a presentation and the decision. That's protected time. Go away. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Hey, unsolicited feedback in a time where you've just been very vulnerable and worked your ass off <laughs> to have presented and, and gotten to that point. Um, and I think actually within the rainforest right now, we're running a learning experience called Rainforest Circles, and uh, feedback was actually I think the theme last week, and we were talking about. The time, uh, is there a time or place for unsolicited feedback? But in the position of um, founders always having to pitch uh, in order, you know, to 
to gain buy-in from investors or start to build build investor relationships. We've had a lot of females share stories within the rainforest of you know protect, like stories that serious of having um, suffered um, some sort of trauma and pitching in front of anyone, let alone a room of majority males, very triggering. And then also getting that criticism or that unsolicited feedback after having gone through, you know, a very triggering situation where again, their um, livelihood is on the line. And so what are your thoughts around alternatives to the traditional pitch? I recently heard about a blind pitch um, women's event in Toronto where they muffled the voice or they made, her, they made everyone sound like Marge Simpson. So I guess they added a little bit of humor to it. and. Um, and you didn't know, you didn't see their face either. You didn't see anything. Um, you just heard this Marge Simpson voice. And so there was just none of that unconscious bias. But what are your thoughts on, on um, building investor relations when you're raising rounds uh, outside of the traditional pitch? So, I mean, the issue with investment is that investment is so much about the relationship between the investors and the investment firm. I don't love the idea of blind pitches. Only because I hate the idea that hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars of investment rests on five to 10 minutes of you talking about your slides in front of a panel, right? (laughs) Yeah, Um, fair enough. I think that our company performs best. Most companies that I know perform best by getting to know investors early, talking to them for an extended period of time, really having the opportunity to show people who we are, how we conduct day-to-day business. And so as for us, like it's 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 super satisfying to walk into a room, pitch for 10 minutes, and walk out with a pile of money. And I'm not saying that it's not, but I actually think that we all benefit more from approaching investment as like a relationship building conversation that takes place over, you know, weeks to months worth of time. I, and I yeah. but I do think that Startup TNT does some of that quite well. Which is that they have a they have a a, a large uh, team to do their due diligence, which mm-hmm. comes before the the pitching here, and at least some of the people in the room will know each of the uh, each of the people on that stage. Right. The other thing I want to say is, I think it's important to push founders to tell you more about themselves mm-hmm. if you think they don't have the whole story, because. I sometimes think that when we walk into a room, we seem young. I'm saying I'm fresh out of grad school. I started this company. I think there's this sense that like we're not industry professionals. We're, we're starry-eyed young people with an idea. And in our industry, a very, very technical, mm-hmm. very execution-heavy idea. And you know, I've learned from my PR firm and from people to lead with. I went back to school at 30. This is my second career, right? Even though that maybe I shouldn't have to. Or... Um, even during the startup TNT due diligence process, they found out that I'd been a professional medical writer. I'd worked on campaigns to launch blockbuster pharmaceuticals in Canada. And they were like, well, that's nowhere in your deck. And I was like, yeah. well, I, I, didn't, I didn't know where to write that down, right? Like, this is what I mean about relationship building. And give people credit for having more expertise than you think they do. Because exactly. women, well, Elle tells me this and Ben tells me this all of the time. Like, we don't talk ourselves up in the same way. We don't, we don't come in and t- I, don't, I don't walk into... I didn't, open today by telling you that I, I won the award for best doctoral thesis in my department when I graduated or that I have one of Canada's most prestigious grad had held one of Canada's most prestigious graduate scholarships, right? Yeah, I'm not gonna because if I lead like that, then I'm, you know, I'm a horrible, egotistical, terrible no, person. No, no, <laughs> uh, then, I, 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 pardon the language, but then you're a 
that is how you will be described. That is how. That, 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 no, but that's the language. That, that, that is the language used um, about that. And that's not something a man gets called. Hell no. At all. Like, full stop. And like, no one even thinks the thought. Uh, the, we, we insult men in a, in a less deprecating way. Like, it is, it is such a, you can be an ass. And that's not necessarily a negative, especially yeah. not in business. Yeah. But but that's not that's not the swear that's used about women, especially not that kind of woman. That kind of woman. And that it's that is a thing a thing I actually think needs to be fought quite hard. But the other thing that we see a lot of is the expectation that people have like a lot of formal education or really fancy credentials to be an entrepreneur. Like I don't think you should have had to have been a McKinsey consultant to launch a business. Mm -hmm. I, I think you might want to look more at people's lived experience and how they've gone about their previous employment, what they actually did when they were there, not just their title before you decide if they're really qualified to do what they're going to do. And this applies across all sectors, right? Like, totally. I admit that if some people had had some more questions about Elizabeth Holmes' academic antecedents, we wouldn't have a Theranos scandal, right? It depends on the area. But ask yourself if somebody has worked in this industry for X number of years and they have a linchpin performance job at their, you know, their company, even if it's not a super prestigious title, if that isn't more important in running the day-to-day nitty-gritty of a business, right? And this is what I mean about relationships. So give 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 time and space and and give people maybe a little bit of a chance to like relax and get to know you so mm-hmm. they'll truly open up about what they're and then also, I want to say, like, being a startup founder, you have to be a generalist. I sometimes, mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. you see all of, all of these fancy credentials, but if someone has only had one position in, in a company in, for the last, say, 15 years, you've already, only ever worked as an executive within a business within the field, right? That doesn't necessarily make you a good startup founder because you're going to do the startup founding thing and all of a sudden you don't have an executive assistant. You don't yeah. have your PR department. You don't have your HR to deal with that stuff. You have to be able to do all those and things. Nobody else does your accounting or your payroll. You have to do that yourself. <laughs> so me and Fiona, we used to, we both have been lab managers in, in like relatively large academic groups. Like we were talking about 20-ish people. Right. And when you're in that position, you do have to, you do have to manage both people, but also like understanding procurement proceedings, you have to be a little, you have to be a factorum. You have, have to be quite good at everything that goes on in, a, in an organization that is on about the same scale as a startup. Yeah. I, I think there are some, some skill sets there that become invisible because of how the questions are asked or because of the things that are expected to be on the slides. Right. I actually think the other thing that needs to change in the venture capital world is something that both groups like the 51 and Startup TNT are trying to do, which is to make angel investing accessible to more people, right? For people to know that you do not have to have a $100 million venture fund or a million dollars to give said $100 million venture fund to invest in early stage startups, Yeah. right? A company like ours, because we're a medical device, because we do a lot of testing before we could make any revenue, right? We're super capital right. intensive. We are even more capital intensive than most medical device startups I've, I've come across, especially in, say, like digital health, the digital health right. space. But there are lots of startups out there whose requirements for early funding, they don't need half a million dollars. They need a whole bunch of people to give them five $5,000 checks so they can have $100,000. 
Um, and if you work with some of these investor groups, you can do that. You can invest in who you want to, who you believe in, the people whose mission you think changes the world. Um, and if you're a qualified investor, I think people should look into doing that. Do not leave venture capital up to eccentric billionaires. Make that a community project so that you see the companies that you want to exist in your in your area. Yeah, 100%. And there's a lot of activity here and across the country. We have um, uh, the Firehood actually is on our radar right now. They're going to be touring all of Canada, supporting women founders and helping unlock more, more angel capital. So there's, there's a lot of work I find bubbling up right now in that, in that area. So it's exciting. Um, as, as women then are starting this company, especially in such a technical field, have there been any other kind of really other unconscious biases you've, you've experienced or other scenarios where you're like, man, if I was, if I was just a man, man, <laughs> this would go a hell of a lot faster or be a hell of a lot easier. I, I will say, I have never thought if I was just a man. No, I, I often thought of that. That's quite hard. No, but we, we have seen, we have seen that um, there is a little bit of an interesting thing in that, that I have experienced and honestly more in Alberta than I've seen it in other places, which is um, unfortunate. We are gay. We're, we're a couple, me and Fiona, and, and we're married. I'm also trans and I am open about that. And we've seen more bias when it comes to gender than about being visibly gay. And like, God, like fighting, fighting biases in being a woman founder has been a bigger deal or a bigger thing to overcome than any bias or anything perceived negative that we've seen around being openly gay in and and i find that i find that very interesting i, I will say though that there are some conversations that i have uh where i think that some days i i think man if only i was just a, a dude in a suit maybe this would be easier and it's about like nuance like there are questions that there is a no win. There are no win answers to sometimes as a woman. So my favorite is what's your beachhead indication? Right. And that's only because as a very early stage company, we need to know that, but also it might change, right? That's a, that's a question in play up until we file our clinical trial protocols and really make a, a hardcore decision about the market we're going to chase. So if I say it's X and I give you one answer, it's usually wrong. And I've been told, but what about X? Right. What about Y? What about Z? Especially because we have a very... Um, multi-opportunity based product, right. right? You can do a lot of things with it. If I try and give you more than one example, then I'm not decisive enough. Then I haven't made up my mind. Then I don't know what I'm doing because I didn't give you a straightforward answer. But I know that if I give you one answer, it's not <laughs> the right answer. So I always feel like that one for us winds up being we recently a trap. We exactly. recently saw this in an investment meeting where Fiona was the one pitching and, and, and she, she got that question. She got the question like, where are you going with this first? And she gave a comprehensive answer. Like, this is where, like, these are the numbers. This is where we're starting, but it can be, it will be applied here. And then she got the, the follow, like, another question, but a follow up comment was, so I see that you're not really, like, so that, that I see that you're sort of insecure about this or unsure about oh this. Gosh. And I'm like, that's not what she said. But you can't, like, during an investment meeting, you can't argue, argue. with the investor. Yeah. Like, then you're definitely not walking away with a check. Exactly. But, we have seen this quite a lot. Like it is, as we want to say, a no win. If you say one thing, you get a comment 
you haven't thought this through because I can come up with three other things. And if you come with all of those four things, then you're being an indecisive woman. And I don't, I, I think that's a gender thing. I don't think that that would go the same yeah. if it was some dude in a suit with a bed. Now I'm really curious and we'll be watching for that question when posed to a man and the feedback that I've received. I mean, and, and the, the honest answer though is like, this This probably isn't the question that trips everybody. Right? Like, right. It's only because our product could be used in so many different and highly specific right. markets that I think this matters a lot to us. But I think there is an equivalent question there where you try to offer more neural nuance or more insight to your thought process and in not sounding super decisive, people yeah. take that as insecurity. Or if you sound too decisive, then it's hubris and you're, you're ahead of yourself because you didn't check properly. Yeah, of course, of course. Super, super interesting and a really tangible um, example. So thanks for sharing. Oh, I will also say about uh, on that note, it is a thing that we have never heard from a woman. Neither of these responses to, to us answering that question, none of it has ever come from a woman. Every time we've gotten that sort of feedback, it's been a man who said it. Interesting. Yeah, really interesting. And going back to what you were talking about, um, L, around facing more, um, I don't know if discrimination was the word you used, so uh, correct me, but uh, for uh, being, wi- being women versus being trans in Alberta specifically, um, I don't know, can we unpack this a little bit? Like, I'm really curious. Well, I, I, don't, I don't know how visible... I'm openly trans, but that doesn't mean I stamp that on. I don't lead right. with that. I don't identify as a trans woman. I am a woman who also happens to be trans. That's how I tend to phrase that. Uh, however, I, I think the gay question is, is more mm-hmm. interesting because that is something that I know that people right. see. Um, and I, I, I have never see, had a negative response to, oh, no, Fiona over there, that's my wife. Like that's never really seriously raised an eyebrow, but both me and Fiona have seen this thing where, where someone asks us about our startup, like, oh, so you're here as a founder. The moment they realize that it's a hard tech mm-hmm. sort of business, that's a thing that has people like taken aback. They're like, really? But you're women. Why aren't you into basket weaving or, or crochet <laughs> or something? Is they, are you sure it's not the bakery you're trying to sell? <laughs> Well, also, also just, you know, we go to, we go to pitch nights and like often we pitch against other healthcare right. companies and it always seems to boggle everybody's mind that it's like the, the primarily female founded startup who wants to treat the most disgusting thing. <laughs> like, like we're, the, one, we're the ones who make, we're the ones who make, you know, resources for wound care, for emergency medicine, for trauma, right? Um, I'm the one telling you why I can't do a clinical trial in gunshot wounds. But I, I actually, this was, this was at our first pitch at Startup TNT. So there's this video of me being like, well, you don't want to, you know, nobody wants to consent to a, a clinical trial when they're actively bleeding from a gunshot wound, right? <laughs> um, and, and I get a lot of like, oh, you must be my favorite. Oh, you must be really smart to do that. Or, Oh, you know, lowly me, I'm only an executive. I don't have a doctorate or everybody in this room has a, has a grad degree, but me. And you're like, just exactly yeah. what's the answer to that? Do I say, yes, obviously I'm super smart. <laughs> yeah, you <No>. should. <laughs> Do I say, 
you, you know, having a doctorate, while not a necessary prerequisite, certainly makes people take me more seriously in my job, right? Like that's, that's kind of one of my favorite, I guess, quote unquote, like mm-hmm. microaggressions is when people feel the need to be like, oh, I, like, I guess you did a lot of school for that. What do you say to that? Like, oh, yeah, you know, you wind up trying to brush it off, but it's the most it's the most awkward thing to answer to. And it's a thing we hear all of the time. And, and all yeah, the time. all the time. <laughs> You're like super women to me. I think it's incredible. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's incredible. I am curious then, and maybe kind of this is where we can sort of, you know, wrap up, wrap up the, the conversation is what advice would you give to upcoming women in STEM or women entrepreneurs? on, you know, how to really just kind of own their own, be authentically themselves and confident in who they are and, and, you know, beat the bias that exists out there. I, well, I, I think being unapologetic, like, and, and don't, don't ask for permission for any of these things, like that we, we've done quite well for ourselves. We were a year and a half in, and we've, we've raised a fair amount of money and we, we have hit every milestone so far. But like, we wouldn't have if we had been waiting for someone else to, don't look, d- don't wait for the world to, to help you in any of these things. You have to help yourself. You have to be ahead. And, and we're unfortunately still at the time where you're, you're going to struggle a little bit more if you're a woman doing this. We know that a, a lot less capital is being deployed towards women-led ventures. It is a fact of life, but I do think, I do think that the best way of, of, of getting around that is more or less ignoring it. Just run ahead, pretend like that bias doesn't exist. And, and yeah, in this case, ask for forgiveness rather than permission. Like go, go fast and don't think too much. Just go. No one is ever ready to found a startup. You're not ready. It's fine. None of us were. None of us were taught how to run a startup. Nobody teaches you how to be an entrepreneur. I don't care how many free online courses there are. When push comes to shove, you will make mistakes. You will ask people for help. You will look for mentors. And there's lots and lots of support out there Mm -hmm. for when you make the decision. But you have to jump first because nobody can help you until you have a corporation, right? I would also say we started this with no money to our names. No, and, and, and no contacts in the space and no one from our own institution willing to help us. We took what we knew, what we knew we could make. And we went out and we started talking to people. Mm. We asked, we took the car, we drove around all of Quebec to be able to find a space to work in. And, and we sort of just in that process stumbled on people who wanted to invest in us. We asked, yeah. We ran too fast to fall over. <laughs> I like that. So, so if you're thinking that you have to have family money or you have to have, you know, a flush RRSP or a flush savings account, no. Like if a, a grad student and a postdoctoral fellow with barely a cent to their name can pull this off, then you too do the same. And I think if you're a young woman who wants to go into STEM, know that like STEM isn't just like, I don't know, doctor, nurse, engineer, mathematician. Like the field of STEM jobs is incredibly diverse. If you have an interest anywhere in the field of STEM, it can probably be a job if you're passionate enough about it and you chase after it. So don't let other people tell you that you can't do what you want to do in STEM, because I promise you that like CEO of a biomaterials company is not exactly a a high high level thing that I think a lot of people (laughs) think that they can be when they grow up, but it exists out there. And, And you can make 
whatever STEM job you want if you pursue it with enough drive and enough passion. I also will say to be some to be what we are right now, there's no university program that teaches you that. There's like so everyone is equally unprepared when they go in, I will say. And it's it's okay if you were wrong the first time. I feel that at grad school, and then I won awards for my PhD thesis. You can get a new career at 30, too. Uh, You know, you can start over. So if you think you screwed up when you were 17 or 18 and picking a university major, say screw it and start again and do what you actually want to do. That is incredible advice. And I'm just like in awe of you both. And I think you're so in Rainforest, we, um, we measure the six pillars of the ecosystem. And one of them is role models. And it's, you know, seeing yourself in, in, other, in someone else who, you know, maybe you aspire to be like. And so that pillar is ringing really true for me right now in this conversation, because I think you will be just that for, for so many people in Calgary's community and Alberta's and obviously Quebec's and beyond. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. So for the audience... Thank you for joining us for both this episode and series on women in tech. Feel free to reach out if you'd like to be featured and we will see you next time. Have a great day. If you haven't already, visit rainforestab.ca and sign the Rainforest Social Contract. Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-sourced, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This episode was brought to you by New Idea Machine. Going beyond creating custom software solutions, NIM is dedicated to making a positive impact on society, providing opportunities for new software developers to gain real-world experience and contribute to meaningful projects. You get quality, affordable solutions at the same time you're supporting the growth and development of the next generation of skilled talent. Visit newideamachine.com for more info. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.